Thank you for listening to the Apprenticeship Diaries. This is Cross Contamination, part one of Amy's interview with Tony Albanese, who is a surgical technician and part-time artist. Welcome to the Apprenticeship Diaries, where raw meets refined. Let's be real, we're still working on refined. <laughs> what it took, what it takes, and the stories that are made. Join us as we learn from professionals about how their stories begin. I know, it's all, it's so exciting. So hello, Diary listeners. I'm here today with Tony Albanese, and he is a surgical technician. I brutalized it by by blasting him out, and I called him a nurse. So I'm going to find out today what the difference is, and all of you are going to find out too. I'm sure there's lots, and we'll, we'll talk about those things. But he's also an artist with a day job, as he likes to put it. He's aspiring to... Um, get into professional artistry and, and namely tattooing is how we kind of, you know, came to each other. Uh, he hit me up in the background, said he liked the podcast and we went back and forth a little bit and I saw his, um, it's Tony line line artist. Is it, um, yeah. or line art uh, on uh, Instagram, Tony line artist. And then I have okay. Tony line artist.com also. Awesome. Fantastic work too. I like it. It's, um, yeah. Yeah, totally. It's very graphic. I like the line quality of it. It's beautiful. But I looked at your artwork and I was like, damn, he's good. Um, I think I think you could do that. <laughs> I see no reason why you can't do that. But as as we were saying uh, pre-show, uh, he's like, oh, yeah, we're going to talk about how I'm getting into this so late in the game. <laughs> and I said, yeah, let's talk about it. <laughs> so um, with that being said, um, you know, you've you've uh, chosen certain paths in your life by no means as a surgical technician I would I would imagine an easy thing to come to anyway but I guess um talk to me a little bit about that why why your life went in certain directions definitely can hearken on art too because I'm sure that's followed you no matter where you went um but yeah where did it begin (laughs) well I guess it began in high school I could I could draw and this is in the eighties. So, you know, there's no internet, no internet yet. And uh, <clears throat> I, I was always having this sort of this conflict where like, what do I do? I like biology and like, you know, as, as it pertains to like pond life and wilderness and plant life and all that stuff. And I like uh, uh, art, obviously, you know, I used to airbrush and, um, you know, I, so I'm getting, I'm getting done with high school and I'm like, what do I do with myself? And so I ended up joining the army. I just like my parents weren't able to pay for any kind of art school for me. Uh, so I joined the army and I, I used to watch that show MASH. I don't know if you remember that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love so, MASH. Well, I, you know, that's my only impression I had of the operating room. Well, the a military operating room was, you know, they're living in tents. It's during the Korean War. They're fraternizing with nurses and drinking homemade gin out of a, uh, or gin out of a homemade still. And, you know, it's like, like, wow, that's, that looks interesting. Maybe I'll do that. And I had no idea what it was like. You know, I mean, I'd watched the videos of surgery and, and just like, you know, everybody else, like I had no idea what a surgical tech was. You know, I thought it was a nurse. And sometimes nurses do scrub in. You know, some nurses do that. But usually it's it's a scrub tech. So I joined the Army and uh, go to you know, get through basic training. And then I go to Sports Sam Houston, Texas, where they train the scrub techs. And um 
I'm wondering, like, will I like this? I don't know. And uh, they show us videos of surgery a lot. And, um, you know, I feel this maybe a little slight queasy feeling. I'm like, how am I going to handle Am I going to handle this or not? I don't know. I mean, I grew up watching people occasionally, you know, like somebody hunted and they'd come back and gut an animal or a fish. I saw, you know, I lived in Virginia Beach, so I saw people right. gutting fish all the time. Oh, wow. My boyfriend's from Virginia Beach. So that's awesome. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, I think I heard you say that once. I think you worked there at some point too. I have gone there and I've done a guest spot there, but only briefly. Oh, okay. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I just, you know, I got into it. The, the first day of doing it, I, like just something clicked and it was like, it didn't bother me. And it, like almost never does anything bother me for a while. Like a bad smell in there might or something like they open somebody's yeah. bowels and there's poop smell coming like, out. Everybody's like, whoa. <laughs> Yeah, and it takes getting used to, and you do get, you would never think you get used to what you do, because sometimes you've been in a room a couple hours and somebody else comes in the room, and they're like, oh, God, it stinks in here, it's so horrible, and I'm like, oh, I don't even, I don't even know anymore. Um, My nose hairs so, are gone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so that I just, I did it in the Army, I got turned off to it, because it, in the Army, I don't, I don't know about now, but in the 80s, it was, uh, you you were, you know, you're on your salary. You're not, you're not paid hourly, but they work you overtime to death. You know, it was just all the time one call. There was periods of time where I had to pull call like every other night, and you know, come in in the middle of the night potentially for sure. I actually sleep there. The first place I was stationed, I had to, we had to sleep in the call room, just the scrub, just the lowly scrub tech. We're at the bottom of the, of the totem pole in the, uh, in the operating room as far as the hierarchy and everything. And um, just, you know, just direct me if you want. I'm not. I don't know. No, no, this is great. Go up in the wrong direction. No, so. there's no wrong direction, honestly, because I this is about. I mean, honestly, with the the show, I want people to understand people's journey, and yeah. I didn't. I called you a nurse because obviously I didn't know the difference, but this is this is good to know, and I've heard this from nurses, you know, and in lieu of doctors and people that they've had to work with, like you know, there's a, there's a breakdown of not only job and what your job distinction is, but there's a hierarchy. There's like this, you know, line kind of thing uh, that, that doesn't get yeah. crossed and that you can't say certain things, but what yeah, I've noted across the board, well, yeah. And, I, and this is a new layer because even in the medical world that I've heard of, I would imagine in the military, it's way worse that, you know, these people that are supposed to help people get healthier are being tortured basically within their own health just to do that. You know, usually you're yeah. without sleep, without nourishment and all those things, yeah. you're overworked. Um, and that, that runs the gauntlet regardless, but I can only imagine in the military, it's way worse. <laughs> you know, there's been a few times I wanted to say to a surgeon, like, what about your oath to do no harm? Because you're doing harm yeah. to us. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't have said that in the military. Like, well, I, I had one day in the military when I was in. I'm at the time I'm like 21, maybe. And me and another scrub tech were working with this one nurse all day long. She actually was the nurse in charge. She was a major, and she was in charge of the of the OR. And she just was like abusive all day long to us. Like, for, and it went on for a few hours. And finally, like, she said something to us, and I just said, like, all I did was go, like, all right. And then you could just get a silence in the room. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to be in trouble later. So she's like, we're going to talk. And it, like, it was even, she even dragged the other guy in. He didn't say anything, but she just, she saw us both as the same, I guess. So she, she pulled us into her office later and said, you know, you don't do this and that. And I, and I like, just not knowing anybody and being that young, I'm like, 
well, you just disrespected us, treated us like dogs all day long. Yeah. Like, I don't know how I got away with doing that. And she was like, okay, like I got us out of getting in trouble. She's like, just don't let it happen again. Cause I thought we were going to get written up and, you know, some kind of trouble for that. But I guess I talked us out of it somehow. Well, so. she probably checked herself because, you know, I mean, yeah. You know, the thing of it is, is like, if you're with good workers, you know, and especially in the military, I would imagine you feel like, and I don't know if you're a woman, but if you're a woman in charge, you probably feel like you have to be a little bit extra. I don't know. I, I don't know, but it, I would feel like you I might. Mean, and then and she I probably would, yeah. realized it in that moment when you were like, dude, like I'm fucking doing everything you want me to do. Like, yeah. just calm down. <laughs> but women hate yeah. being told that anyway, but we do check she ourselves. And so she probably just was like, you know what? I'm going to let them have it. I'm going to let them know they can't do that, but they might be a little right. <laughs> yeah, it could very well be. It might be. Very well be. They love hard in the military, you know? <laughs> yeah, you do. You do. But I mean, that was one of the times, it was like a few things that happened to make me think, I'm not going to reenlist. This is it. I, mm -hmm. I need my freedom. Yeah. And there was kids that used to talk about, like we'd be around drinking and joking and stuff. And we were like, I'm going to get out. I don't care what, I don't care how poor I am. Cause they used to, they love to threaten to say, well, when you get, what do you, if you get out, what are you going to do for a living? This and that, you know, you know, you can have money and all that. And I was thinking, well, I'll get a job, obviously. Yeah. I mean, we say something. things like, I don't care if I live in an, in an alley, you know, eating off of hubcaps and drinking out of coffee cans and stuff, you know, like I'm going to get out no matter what. Yeah. So, so I got out. I wanted to go to college anyway. For that's a re that's the main reason I joined was to get money for college anyway, yeah. and a skill and a, and a job skill also. It's just in case, which turned out to be. I mean, you know how a bachelor's in fine art, what that'll get you. Oh, so, I uh, mean, you know, I don't yeah. actually because I don't have one. <laughs> I dropped yeah. out. <laughs> uh, I don't I, know if you missed anything. Well, <laughs> that's the thing is that I saw what it got you, and it didn't get much, and so I was like, I got to get a job. <laughs> I just wanted a skill to get out and live that life, you know, like be a young adult out in the world free, mm -hmm. you know, like any, like most people want. And like, I'm like, I'm just, now I'm going back. I just did four, almost four years in the army where you're, you know, and it's not to degrade the army. Thank God there's people out there, no. you know, and, uh, but I could just there see like, I did my time and I'm, I'm done. I can't, I can't do this anymore. Well, there are personality types that are better yeah. suited for the army. And yeah. I, I kind of knew that I, thank God my physicality wouldn't have allowed it for, for me anyway, but like personality wise, it would have, it would have been a shit storm. I understand. I'm too much of a freedom person myself. I'm just like, no, man, I got ideas. I can't listen to just orders without any kind of understanding of what you're saying to me. I need, I need, I need to know why. <laughs> And they're yeah, like, exactly. no, man, just do. <laughs> oh, yeah, they don't, they don't like when you question them. Like, I learned not to question them, but I'd see a friend just like, why are we doing, why about having some common courtesy to everybody? And I'm like, don't, we're going to drop you to do push-ups now. And they don't care. They don't want to hear that. Now we're so, all going to have to do push-ups, man. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, you know, it's a, it's a different thing. It's a, it's a, you know, it, it's a group mentality that under severe pressure, you know, which is a crisis situation, you can't have people sitting there going, well, why are we doing this? You know, you just got to, you got to do it and you got to follow your men and you got to trust them. So I do get the idea yeah. of it, but on an everyday basis, man, that is not how, that's not even how human beings I think really work. Um, yeah. 
So, and, and then once you get people to that kind of level of escalation where they're so good at the, the tactical maneuvering and stuff, then it's impossible to really de-escalate them. <laughs> so now they're on the subway and they're like, I can't see every exit. What the fuck is going on? And they're like freaking out, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, because it's loud. Well, we There's did, a lot of people. Have a, yeah, we, we did have a band of brothers moment though. And, and th- when I was in, it's, it was all peacetime then. Yeah. Um, I think grenade, it was the worst thing that happened at that point. Um, but, uh, so we had this band of brothers, mo- I'm in basic training with my friend, you know, we're all getting pretty close, you know, mm-hmm. and it's like us against the sergeant, the drill sergeant. So, you know, we're not allowed to have a, like a Walkman, remember this, the 80s. So it was like a Walkman little tape player and a little earphones. And, um, I snuck, we got, you know, we were in, we'd go to PX periodically to buy soap and toothpaste, whatever. And they're like, don't you buy a Walkman? You can't get this and that. So I noticed like, I was like good at turning invisible sometimes because I mean I'm not I'm not extroverted anyway so I was sometimes like it behooved me just kind of blend this in the background so I know somebody's looking so I picked up a walkman and went to the to check out all the time like watching where the sergeants are and they don't catch me and then so I stuck it in that we have these big cargo pockets on the side of our uh the camouflage uniform to be to use so I get it back to the barracks get some batteries and I had some tapes with me and everybody else has whatever they smoked they still had with them and um it got pretty popular and I shared it with everybody, which is smart. One, maybe nobody will hopefully tell on me and nah. two, you know, it's just, you know, just bonding with everybody. So I'm sharing it. I had my turn with it, give it to other people. And then one day they send us out to do PT. It's like PE in the army, in the army to call it PT. So they had us dress in our little t-shirts and jogging shorts and sneakers, just like any other day. And they go, all right, uh, we're not going to do PT. What we're going to do is a barracks shakedown search of your lockers. And we wind you out here with no pockets, you know, so we can, so whatever you have, you know, is in your locker. And I'm like, oh no. And, uh, cause you know, you get in trouble. I mean, it wouldn't have failed yeah. basic training over, but I would have been doing like 90,000 pushups or something. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> we're all waiting out there. And it was a bunch of reservists that came in in the summertime. So the reservists come in and they come and go throughout the time, like basic training is 10 weeks. So you'd have like some come in for two weeks and then they leave another one's coming for two weeks. So they barely knew us at that point. So, but I remember we we're all like plotting in the corner somewhere. Like we got, they're like, we got to get that uh, tape player out of Albanese's uh, locker. We can't get, you know, partially to keep me out of trouble, but partially so they could continue to listen to it. Right. So there's one. So finally, there's one. One of the guys, this little wiry guy, he he jumps through the window. He'd already had his locker searched, so I'm like, here's the key to my locker. So he jumps through there and goes into my locker and gets it out and locks it back up and jumps somehow gets without being seen. And um. And I was like, all right, band of brothers. And I like, I had, to, and I like, even my drill sergeant, the one that was on to me, this one, I, he's the only one's name I can remember, just about the only one whose name I can remember, the Sergeant Armandez. Um, he was old then, so who knows if he's around or not. But um, he was like, he, he was, he caught on to me. I don't know why, but he was just like, he was always like watching me. Even then when I bought the thing, he was in there and I was like, you know, I, I just, he, I just knew he was on to me. So even he, before those guys jumped in my locker, he was like, He's like, did they search your locker yet? I'm like, oh, yeah. And he goes, who? And I'm like, oh, you know, one of the reservists. I can't remember their names. It's just true. <laughs> I can never remember. Yeah. And uh, so he kind of believed me, but I thought he's a matter of time. He's going to double check this. So that's when the, the other guys were like, we got to go jump in there and get this thing. But uh, after the guy came back out and um, we we're like, like, why don't you guys hold it? Because he's going to come to me. And um, I was like, man, it's a band of brothers thing going on here. We're all tight. Look at us. Like, yeah. we're doing combat together because we're. Look what we did. We just overcame our enemy, the drill sergeant. And 
Yeah. Got operation, get the walkman back, whatever you want to call it. Hell so, yeah. <laughs> that was one of my favorite incidences of uh, basic training. That's awesome. I'll bet you if if that man is alive, which he probably isn't, but if he is and he hears this, he probably would laugh just because be like, I knew it. I knew it. Just some little validation, you know, wouldn't you get like if he was on his deathbed right now, wouldn't it be nice if you like were able to go there and be like, by the way, I did have a fucking Walkman. You were right. Uh, (laughs) You were right, man. I just want you to know. (laughs) You you sized me up the right way. You you had me pegged. (laughs) I want you to have that before you go. (laughs) Maybe the whole time he just knew he was right. Yeah. No. Well, you know, that's the thing is that like, you know, you think you're, it's like me when I was a little kid and I I thought my lies were slick for my parents, my parents, you know, they, you don't know how transparent your lies are for really wise people. And you're like, how do they always know? (laughs) Just like, you think you're being slick. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I had my mother tell me, you can't leave this room to go to that room or whatever, for whatever reason. And she'd be upstairs and I'd be in the other room. And she goes, are you, are you in the other room? And I run back to the other room. And I'm like, how did you know? And she goes, I just know. But that, like, I realized too, like with my own kids, like I don't tell them how I know. Yeah. You know <laughs> I just you know. know. Countermeasures against it. So. Oh no, you got to be their like God at first. Like yeah. the important thing yeah. is like, they got to fear you like they do a spiritual entity. Like they're magic. Like, yeah. like I don't know how they know. I just, I know I can't get away with shit. so you knew you didn't want to re-enlist um what was the next step from there i mean obviously you moved on with your life and was able to you know have a family and success (laughs) yeah i got out in 88 so i got out in 88 and um stayed i just stayed in my mother's apartment she had my her second husband at the time had they had been they got divorced while i was in the military so she moved a few times so my original bedroom was long gone at that point so, but I did like, I just slept on her couch for a little while, but yeah. I was, I just went to, I was trying to figure out what to do. So then I go to uh, one of the local colleges and it was, this one was like easier to get in because my grades in high school weren't great. I mean, I, which is, you know, part of my, my I always feel like this big contradiction all the time. It's like, I read all the time. I read stacks and stacks of books. I had a bedroom full of books. I, you know, I had friends come over and they're like, you read all these books? I'm like, yeah, don't you? And it, a lot of it was paperback sci-fi, you know, yeah. but it was science fact, history, whatever, just all kinds of stuff. Some of the classics. So I thought, well, maybe I should go to college, you know, which now I don't think that, because I think you can be a... Uh, well, like school's a not engineered for dudes. It's made for women. It's, it's not It's not meant for guys, like for the large huh? part. School is not engineered. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it just isn't. I mean, there's not enough things that hold uh, a male attention span. Men are very physical beings and they learn better when they're moving and when they're actually participating in an activity and and sharing camaraderie with each other. That's how they learn best, uh, psychologically speaking. So it's just engineered for girls, honestly. And then if you notice, like the majority of dudes uh, are on drugs because they they have attention issues and they can't sit still. And that's the majority of them. Um, It's it's happening more and more. Well, yeah. it's happening more and more to girls too, because the technology we're, we're being inundated with it too. Girls are getting into gaming and it's just too bombastic, but yeah. Um, school I do believe is, is not for, um, 
I believe the really smart uh, because, you know, they're kind of too smart to deal with, you know, the regiment of it. And the, you know, it's the same thing with military. It's like, if I don't need this, or if I can't see a need for this, why am I here? You know? So, I mean, I I would tell anybody now, like the one reason you should join the military now is because you just want to do that. You want to do it. Not because you feel like you have no other choice. Yeah. You'll be happy there. Or you most likely won't be happy in it. But if you wanted to be, I like, always wanted to be a soldier, or marine, then go out by all means, go for it. You know, the world's not that. a safe place all the time, so you know, we do need a military. Yeah. But I, one thing I did notice was like, as far as the college thing, like my scrub, my OR Tech school was in the army was it was like ten weeks long, and they, it's like very intensely. They just get to the point. Period. Right. Mess around with anything else, and it and when you do that, you see how quickly you can learn something. Yeah. And then, um, but like the civilian version of it could last a year or two years and to get a, like an associate degree, which they're trying to push people to get now, nowadays. Um, and just college in general, I haven't compared the way the army did it to college where they take the long way around, I guess, to get as much money out of you mm-hmm. excuse me, as they can. And um, it just takes a so long. We don't look at this at every angle and then we have to role play about it. We have to write right. an essay, another essay and I'm like, I, you know, I would think too, like I could just read this in 45 minutes yeah, and then I know it. So why can't, why isn't that enough? You know? Right. So, so right. I think and that's what college is too long. Well, it is. And, and the truth of the matter is, and the reason why I have an apprenticeship diaries podcast is I do believe out of having done both formal education and apprenticeships for apprenticeships, because I, I am that thick um, that I, I needed four, um, two and two and two different things. Uh, I, uh, this is the best way to learn because honestly, like with most things, um, you're not going to know the question even until it's in front of you. And when you're doing a thing and it's tangibly there in front of you, where you, you have this question or you have this problem, then it asks for you to find the answer and then you will find the answer. But if you run all these scenarios and stuff, it's, it's kind of like, you know, it's a lot of um, fluffing uh, to me. It's a, it's a lot of, for the people who just want to get in there and get dirty. I remember when I, when I worked at Starbucks, they handed me like, it was like an inch thick, like manual of all their shit. And they were like, here, study this. And then you'll know our coffees and how we make our, I was like, no, no, son. I'm like, get me in there. Should just, just have a person show it to me and then have me do it. And then I'll do it. I'm I'm happy to have this book. I'll I'll read parts of it later. Probably unless it's applicable, I'm probably not, but I will be an excellent uh, barista for you. And I was, and then I moved up and I was a shift supervisor and all that stuff, but it was all because I needed to get dirty. And then once I loved working at Starbucks, once I loved that rhythm and serving the clients and stuff, then I wanted to be the best coffee master that I could be. I wanted to get into it. I wanted to try the coffees, but that's, but that's the thing is that you can't, I mean, maybe you can, but I, I think that, um, those kind of engineered ways of teaching really stifle passion they really stifle a, a very fiery heart and they kind of, they kind of mute you if they, if they are too adamant about their path and their way. 
it doesn't, it's not good education. Cause I, I said this earlier in another um, episode for me, education is pulling out what's already inside of somebody, not jamming a bunch of shit in, you know, yeah. like you, I mean, as far as like stuff you got to put in a person, basic math, you know, basic scope of history. If, you know, you're in a certain country and you want to like talk about the, you know, the history of the country, maybe a little bit, but like really the, the biggest scope and it's the biggest thing that I think they don't talk about it at all is communication. Um, you, everybody I think would benefit from a communications class, yeah, but they don't, they don't do that at all. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it takes too long. And I think it can kill your passion too. Cause I, I felt very burnt out by the time I was done and it took me, cause I had to work my way through it. I had like, I was working in a sterile processing department, which is adjacent to the, you know, the OR uses the instruments and then they have to get re-sterilized. So this is a whole other department. that just does that. And in, a, in the army, every scrub tech gets taught to also be an SPD tech. So I already knew it. So I easily got a job doing that. And, and it was on like flexible hours. So, I mean, I was much better than having to work like a selling shoes. Like I had friends in college that were working their way through selling shoes or working at McDonald's or something like that. Yeah. So at least I had it better than that. But I mean, it didn't pay great, but it was better than yeah. they were getting at the time. We um, were learning some valuable tools too on a professional yeah. career level too. That was really good. Yeah, um, and I, I actually had like several different jobs. I was self-employed for a while too. Actually, I was self-employed before I just got back into into this. Now I got back into this in 05, uh, scrub tech in 05. and I hadn't done it in over ten years at that point, and certainly not on a, any regular basis. So you you can get you uh, what's the word you get? You know, you lose your edge really quick. Burnout. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, you forget things like. Because this is a job, it's like, imagine you're the priest during the, I don't know, does Starbucks have a rush hour time? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, like anything like that or a restaurant where you got to remember all this, keep these details in your head and everything's moving quick. And sometimes things change. Sometimes like, I want this. Oh, wait, no, I want that. No, I want this. And it's it's like, it can be easily like that in the, in the operating room. So I'm not a natural at that kind of thing. I had to. Right learn it and the first time it was easier because things weren't as complicated in the 80s in the or because now they do all these what they call laparoscopic cases Mm -hmm. put the little tiny uh instruments through small incisions rather than open your whole abdomen up right Um, so i had to learn that i didn't barely did that in the 80s they hardly did that at all then and um so i had to relearn that and it was just not used to because i was like i said i was self-employed and was fixing car interiors i go to use car lots and fix Oh, that's cool. with some, some of that color matching skills help there. And, um, you know, I would get up at eight o'clock in the morning without an alarm clock. And I was doing this for like the past six years and just going where I'd work for like four, sometimes eight hours, but usually it's like four hours, not counting the travel. And if it's raining, we go to the movies, whatever. So I'm living this hippie lifestyle almost. And it was working for us. But then I had, we moved, we left in, we were in India. We found ourselves in Indiana. We moved several places to Maine and then Indiana for some reason. And I'm just not a Midwest person. And neither is my wife. We had to get back East. So we came to Raleigh, you know, North <laughs> Carolina, because it's close to Virginia beach, but you know, people can't visit you unannounced. Yeah. So, but it's, it doesn't, it only takes like half a day maybe to get home. So <clears throat> we ended up here and that's when like, I was just going to start the business again. And then I got just like, 
too, hit hard financially with too many things at once. So I started uh, applying for jobs and I applied in the o, uh, for OR jobs. And by then you could apply online, which, you know, was new to me. So I'm like, they're making this too easy. So I applied like three different jobs and finally somebody hired me. I'm like, you know, I haven't done this in over 10 years. And they're like, all right, we'll take a chance. And they may have been sorry at first because it was like learning all over again. So I had, yeah. to, I had to learn that job twice. You know, I, just because it just, like I lost the edge. I couldn't think as quick anymore. And I guess all those neural pathways and yeah. atrophy. And so I had to rebuild them, I guess, again. And that, I mean, now it's fine. Now it's, it's easy to do, but it was, I just had to learn it twice. Well, and there was a lot of, like you said, there was a lot of new stuff that was not covered in, in your yeah. time. Um, yeah. I mean, I mean, I was really literally showing up every day thinking, are you going to fire me at some point or I'm going to learn this? So I'll see what happens. But at least I get a couple paychecks out of it. But there's also the case of like medical science, just in general, like different, different ideas about different things. I mean, it used to be that they had a smoking room for fathers uh, uh, while they would wait for their babies to be born. And they didn't, they didn't, they weren't in there and they didn't cut the umbilical cord. They didn't even see their kids. Sometimes they wouldn't even be, they wouldn't even be there with their wives. (laughs) So like, um, and you know, I, 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 hear from all these new people now, like they're, they're really calling for masking constantly while you're tattooing, which, yeah, there is a very infinitesimal maybe that something might hit you in the face and cause an issue with you. Um, out, out of all things in stats, um, even with all the things going on, all of the delinquencies that have happened per tattoo, uh acquisition still the the viral contamination of that caseload is slim to nothing compared to sexually transmitted diseases and things like that so like you know you would think that you know you hear all these guys like talking about how you have to wear a mask and stuff and how that's the new thing. I'm like, Oh, so I can count on you constantly having the condom. Cool. Um, (laughs) Good to know, bud. Um, Cause you know, there's, that's the thing is that like, I, I hear these people, they're like, Oh, you know, you got to wear, you know, why do you think we wear gloves? And I'm like, well, actually uh, a little known fact, but your, your skin is actually an amazing organ that when it's not broken, you cannot get bloodborne pathogen type stuff. Now you could get a skin irritation or illness, you know, that's, that's transmittable. So that, that is more what the, what the gloves are for. But as far as bloodborne pathogens, um, if you're, if you're scratch free, just don't stab yourself and stab them at the same time. You're good. And it keeps things clean because you can throw away all the ink instead of having it all over your hands. <laughs> yeah, that's, our, that's our basic principle in the OR. Don't, yeah. don't stick yourself with something bloody, but it, it's an occupational yeah. habit. It does happen to us sooner or later. Like yeah. to everybody sooner or later. Yeah. I've had a few over the, over the years. So. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it does happen. Um, you're on site for it. As long as, you know, you run through those protocols and things, everything's, uh, you know, kosher, cool. but. What happens I've to even, a tattooer if they stick them, like if they, accidentally ran it after it's been in the patient, I want to say patient, the customer all that time, and they accidentally stick themselves with it, do they just go whatever or not worry about it? Or do they, is there some I guess thing it you guys usually do? Or? Depends on the tattoo artist. I have, I have ran into myself, but I've never broken 
the gloves on a, uh, on a for real level because nitrile gloves for the most part, our needles are so small that they are more apt to skirt across, you know, the, which is another case for the gloves um, because they do add a barrier. If you are to make that move, that makes it a lot harder for you to stab yourself. Technically what you're supposed to do is stop um, and end the tattoo and then call, call and, and, go to the emergency room about it. I personally don't think anybody's doing that. I think what they would do is like, Hey, I stabbed myself. I'm going to flush this wound, um, pray for good things. And I'm going to, uh, get a new needle. So I don't give you whatever I might have. <laughs> and oh, we're yes, just going to continue this tattoo. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they say like a needle stick is not it's like a really small chance of getting something. Yeah. And well, you know, you have tiny needles. So well, not only that, but like, um, we're encouraged to be hep B vaccinated. So that's one, that's one area of defense that, that we would have on our side, as far as HIV majority of people now, if they are going to get tattooed with HIV, their T levels, um, would be very, very high. Like their, their immune system would be high with their want to do that. I yeah. doubt highly they'd be getting tattooed by any kind of professional, um, being HIV, well, uh, you know, positive, uh, without having, you know, their, their T cell count really high and making sure yeah. they're in alignment with that. Plus now you have, um, what is it? The, um, is it basically keeps them, you know, as long as they take their regular medication, which is a lot, uh, it's like four huge, like horse pills a day, but it keeps their immune system uncompromised. Um, and so they have that now that they never had, it was a, it was a definite killer back in the eighties, yeah. you know, yeah. like people were dropping yeah. like flies, but now it's, it's a lot less of a death sentence. Um, it's definitely an issue, um, that you have to consider and you have to be wise about, but, um, <clears throat> it's, it's not, it's not what it, it had been. And, you know, there is a case for viral kind of stuff, like breathing kind of stuff for mass, but quite frankly, as much as I work myself and the way that I work myself, if I get sick from a client, I just look at it as karmically, like it's time for me to take a break. It's time for my body to go through something, you know, kind of a tone, get some antibodies, walk in there, you know, get beefed up for, you know, this year. That's kind of how I see it. <laughs> um, I don't, I don't really freak out about it. And I, and I hope that if I ever get to the point where I'm that scared of people, I'm not working on people anymore. Um, because if you have to be of service to people, you have to kind of be, I think thinking more, a little bit more about them than you do yourself. Um, and yeah. I think that's important. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, for me, like this, this atmosphere with COVID was very uh, kind of crazy because there was a lot of like, what about me as the practitioner? And I'm like, well, you know, that's, that's all. I hope you're doing what you have to do to protect you as the practitioner. I mean, yeah. we do so many things as practitioner that people don't even understand consciously that we are doing that are safeguarding ourselves. The amount of times that I've had to give hand sanitizer to a client because they just touched their wound and then got, then they're, I was like, oh, before you do yeah. that, let me just a little hand sanitizer. Well, it's my blood. I said, I understand but your blood doesn't need to be on my door handle on that, that yeah. bench over there. Like, <laughs> and now like, you're thinking oh. like somebody in the OR. 
Yeah. Yeah. They were like obsessed about those things. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the thing is that like, you know, all those little things that we know that we know to practice, I hope that the professional knows those things about how to safeguard themselves and can stick up for themselves in those moments. But, but the, the public doesn't know. And they, they know you have a license, but they don't know what that license means. They don't know what you did to get it. They don't know anything about it, which is why we also have this podcast is so the people know, you know, like they kind of get it. Some exciting news, diary listeners. We actually got a wonderful promotional code from Reinventing the Tattoo recently, and we're happy to share this with you. It's 10% off on a subscription to Reinventing the Tattoo. And if you don't know about this wonderful, wonderful service, it's continuing education for working professionals, very geared around tattooers. But I would venture to say that if you are looking to improve your art skills and have regular momentum to your career, creativity and to your own professional education, I can't recommend it enough. One of the prime people that you will be critiqued by and helped with and draw with and all of that good stuff is Guy Acheson. And if you don't know about him, you probably should. He is a very, very pivotal person in our industry. I joined them for for one exercise. I I did a color study. I mean, Rico sat there and and watched me the other night do Mm -hmm. a, a color study exercise with Guy and company, and it was amazing. I was flexing all kinds of muscles. It's just all around if you want to improve your art skills. I can't see a better way than hanging out with a lot of professional artists and seeing the kind of work that they do and the kind of exercises they work on all the time. It's www.reinventingthetattoo.com backslash The Apprenticeship Diaries. So again, that's www.reinventingthetattoo.com backslash The Apprenticeship Diaries, and that's going to save you 10% on your subscription. Go check it out, folks. Well, the biggest thing this past year was like, or the past two years, watching like people in the OR watching everybody else wear masks. This is nothing new to us. We we do this all day long. Yep. And we know what, how you're supposed to wear and how you're not, and when it's, what's effective and what isn't. Right. And I don't know, like what you see the public doing is such a joke. They might as well not. Yeah. Do it. I mean, cause they're not really yep. protecting themselves. They're, they're exacerbating actually, because by, by not understanding your touch, your touch and then touching your face yeah, or adjusting your mask, you're, you're doing yeah. more harm than good. Um, well, quite honestly, too, they're made, they're really made to like, like you're you're over top keep of your, a face yeah keep your it, stuff keep in it and whatever coming out your mustache hair and nose yep. hair and yep. um, <laughs> it, it's that's more or less but I mean the effective mask would be that N95 mask or something even mm-hmm. stronger than that but wear one of those and walk around outside you or walk around indoors somewhere it's hard to breathe in those things yeah 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 we yeah. had to wear those if if say if we had a patient who had tuberculosis like in the past pre COVID we'd have to get those masks and every year we have to go through a fit test. And um, that's why I wish I could grow a whole beard because it can't happen. <laughs> yeah, of the mask. But I can wear a short, a little band I can go to thing mm-hmm. and the mask will fit around it. And you have to do this fit test every year to make sure you to, to yeah. know what size mask you wear. Yeah. Not, and you know when it's on because it's hard to breathe. But everything, you know, when you see somebody with their nose sticking at it, but that's not, you just you might as well take it off. It's not, yeah, doing, it's not anything. doing anything. So, yeah. all these, so I think of it as all these people have been walking around not protected all these time, all this time. So 
who knows who's already built up immunities. Yeah. That maybe they just got affected with small viral load, had no symptoms, never knew it. Yeah. So. No, I, I, I wholeheartedly agree. I mean, for me, it was just like, I personally, I was just like, what is happening? What is happening? I had a guy yeah. on the, on the glove thing. He sent me this picture and he was so weird. He never got back to me, but he sent me this picture. It was an old picture of like an old time tattoo artist tattooing um, without, without gloves on. And yeah. one of them didn't have a shirt on. It's a very classic yeah, photo. Yeah. yeah. And um, they both look like two dudes you don't want to mess with or tell how to live their life. You know, like yeah. one of them doesn't have teeth in. I'm pretty sure he doesn't have teeth in. He's getting God bless America tattooed on him and just like freehand. Yeah. That man has killed people, first of all. Like, I know he's killed people. I see it in his eyes. Yeah. <laughs> so this guy sends like, me this picture. Or just on yeah. So like. Well, he sends he sends me this picture and I'm like, what are you even saying? I was like, yeah, man, that's a classic. And I said, yeah, boy in the day, times have changed. But you know what hasn't changed? My respect for my elders, because fuck if I'm going to tell either of those gentlemen how to live their lives. Those two people are free willing, knowing how to do. They know what they're doing. They know what they're doing. I'm not going to belittle or berate those two gentlemen because they're old enough. They've survived longer than me. And I'm pretty sure that that they're not going to appreciate me coming in with all of my my uppity ideas, telling them how they're living wrong. (laughs) I'm sure they would. I'm kind of almost there now where I like I'll hear somebody (laughs) in their 20s like, oh, really, Junior? Yeah. (laughs) I've been around the block yet. What are you going to tell me? Yeah, I know, right? Like, or a scrub tech, like sometimes I have brand new scrub tech. Yeah, I'm supposed to do this or that. And I'm like, I'm like, what have you been scrub tech 15 minutes now? You know, yeah, you know? yeah. yeah right? Yeah. <laughs> right. I'll be like, excuse me, are you my boss? Yeah. Are you my boss? Yeah. I didn't know you were my yeah. boss. <laughs> you Nor know, has lots of type A pushy people in there too. That mm-hmm. love to yeah. others that they can get away with it. So. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, no. I, I, my, my one successful apprentice and they were all successful. I feel it's just that whether or not they became what they were supposed to become that we were aiming for or not, or whether or not I successfully brought them through an apprenticeship. She was my one that I brought through. And then we got on the other side. We don't talk really anymore, but I I love her and I I care a lot about her. Um, And I think she's amazingly talented, but that was, yeah, that was, that was one thing that we went through because she, um, she would almost care too much. Like, you know, like I said, it's important to care a little bit more than your clients. Cause you know, a lot more than them, but it's not good to care so much that it drives you crazy. And that it, that it makes you this like crazy person who like walls out on everyone, including yourself. And I think that's kind of what she did to herself. And and the anxiety of it was just like, I I didn't know how to manage it. I didn't know what to tell her, Um, except for the fact that like, I'm terrible with people with this level of anxiety because I, I don't have anxiety when I do, I know exactly what to do to manage it. And then I do that thing. And then there's no more anxiety, like there's none. So, and then moving on. I have had to learn to deal with that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. So is the army, you know, like you, you dealt with a lot of things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, within all this, um, was art always there? Like have yeah. you always done that? 
Yeah, I just figured when I was a kid, I was maybe I'd be an illustrator, maybe I'd be a biologist, and I'd, like I said earlier, uh, maybe I'd be. I heard eventually heard of a medical illustrator, which is like usually a graduate program afterwards. I didn't end up wanting to do that. I mean, I was so burnt out by the time I was done with college. So, a lot of school. Yeah, yeah, that's what I need more school. So, um, <laughs> uh, I just was always into drew, drew like every other little kid. But I just kept doing it, and you know, like I'd probably say most people that can draw have deal with some level of being an introversion, I guess, because you know who else can sit there alone and draw all day but the introvert, you know, so yeah. you get better and better at it. And then that, um, you probably heard of the book, uh, drawn ahead and figure by Jack Ham. It probably came mm-hmm. out in the 60s or something. Yeah. Um, I just happened to get an old copy. My mother borrowed it from some friend of hers. And, uh, I just like one summer, I just, it's like took three weeks and I'm like, Oh, this is great reference. And I just like try to figure out where the ear goes in relation to the eye on the head, how, how far down the hand hangs between the, the hip and the knee mm-hmm. on people you know what does your hand do when it when it just hangs there freely it doesn't it doesn't go flat like that it's like a salute it just curls up yeah and just all those all those things into shadows and mainly at that point mainly it's more like the structure of the body because there's people who do great shadows but their their anatomy maybe is not that great I at know. that point so I, they I make up muscles it. yeah and i and i and i always tell them like just get the structure down first and then worry about the shadows afterwards yeah. Um, but I just got that book and I got, you know, took another step forward with it. And then, like I said, you know, eventually the army came out. I, I wanted the airbrush and I thought a tattoo. And then because, well, I mean, I, my dad had two tattoos from the Navy, the very typical anger anchor and the sparrow oh, nice. <clears throat> that they typically get. And that's, he might have gotten in Virginia Beach some years before I was born. Um, so I went to the library looking for books about it. And at that point, it was banned in Virginia Beach. I didn't realize it yet. Really? I didn't know yeah, that. Um, yeah, um, maybe in 06 or something. I can't remember when. I was going to ask you if you knew. I didn't. I, but I mean, obviously it's back now. But so at the time, I I go to the library, try to check a book. out. It was always my go-to. And I was always a guy who wanted to find this, this like obscure information about something that wasn't typical. And then back then, there's no internet. There's no Google. So you go to your your crappy, lousy little local library that doesn't have anything just about and look for stuff. And, and you know, so I had to, I, there was no tattoo books there. So they transferred one from the, another somewhere else in the database in, in the library system. And it was that, uh, I heard of that spider web book, uh, Pushing Ink, came out mm-hmm. way back in the 70s. Yeah. People barely talk about him now. Yeah. <clears throat> but, um. He, I got the, they transferred the book for me in her, in her library alone. So this book is full of like naked people getting tattooed and stuff. I had no idea any of that was in it. So they, I could just imagine when I go to get the book, I'm like 14, maybe I couldn't, I was too young to drive yet. That's all I remember. And um, I can just imagine the librarians like, so oh, you're the one that's checking this book out with all this nudity and stuff in it and everything, <laughs> drug references or whatever that may have been in there. But I like, I saw a story and I see how he, goes to this apprenticeship and I'd already heard of that somewhat, but kind of solidify, Oh, go find a fr- uh, an apprenticeship. So I go grab my phone book at the time, the yellow pages and I'm flipping that. I go straight to the T's and I'm looking and there's no tattoo anywhere in there. I'm like, hey, where did, did they just leave it out? You know, what, what is with them? How dare they? Whatever. And then, so I was talking to my father about it. He goes, Oh, it's banned in Virginia Beach. You had to go up to Newport news, yeah. up to the, to the Hampton road, Hampton and Newport news. 
and I didn't have a car yet, so I just kind of gave up. It just seemed, you know, at that point, it seemed like this, this impossible, like it was never, could never happen. So I just kind of gave up on it. And I wish I had thought, like in hindsight, it was like, go get a job at, at the, at the uh, Burger King that's within walking distance so you can save up for a car and then go up there all the time, eventually maybe find some roommates up there and then bug these tattoo people until somebody gives you an apprenticeship. Like, it just didn't even occur to me to do that until like, last year. So, and I don't have lived there in 20 plus years. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, no, it, it, um, that's the thing, right? Like, and this is an analysis of our show is that like, it's become, it's become an interesting thing because now there's so much information that people don't even know what they should look at. And then of course, um, you know, like seasoned professionals are like, well, you have to get, you have to get an apprenticeship. Um, I will say that having an apprenticeship teaches a hell of a lot more than the art. I actually just ran into a professional artist um, that I'm hoping to have on the podcast, but she, um, she's transitioning and all self-taught and I can, I kid you not, she's better at line work than I am now, 13 years in. And it's, it's doing tattooing or yeah, tattooing. She's taught herself self-taught, but she has been a professional artist for a long time. And I think that just, um, you know, it depends on how people learn. It really, really does. It depends on what they're aiming to do. What I would say about an apprenticeship, um, and this I ran into with my last apprentice, was that he had an apprenticeship with me, but I'm working at a private studio and, and a, um, you know, no walk-ins or anything. And I looked at him and I was like, you know, you're not, we were only meeting like once a week. And I was giving him insights, but he was to the point where he was tattooing. And I was like, I just knew that if he had one tattoo after another, like if he had a book, if he had the ability to be in a place where he was just saturated with that stuff on a regular daily basis, and he had a progression of tattoos that he did in a day that really tested him. Um, that he would get better within a day. Like he would, he would learn all those things within a day, whereas it, it was taking, and, and he didn't care how long it took, but for me, it mattered just in so much as that I, I, I didn't want it to take that long for him. And I also feel like that rhythm and that it's, it's just a part of it. Like it's a part of, uh, being okay in front of people. You know, like being, being put to that kind of um, performance level uh, helps you, you know, just be able to tackle anything. And you know that because you've, you've been rushed through a bunch of stuff. You've been tested and vetted within very high pressure scenarios. And it just makes you a lot more calm around other people and confident within yourself. Yeah. And, and that's what I wanted for him was that I wanted him to be able to travel anywhere in the world and, and know that he was a tattoo artist and that he could be one in any setting. But the only way to be that is if you do that. And so yeah. I was like, this is, this has come to a point where I think we need, we need to stop. And I had been hinting at it before. I was like, I think you should get a desk job at a, at a tattoo shop, at least learn the rhythm of it. Like, 
learn how other tattoo artists work their schedules, how they plot out their careers, what they do, why they do it. You know, you only have me and I'm, I'm only going to show you what I know. And, and really it's pretty limited, you know, like I, I can't even articulate half the shit that I know. I mean, I try, but like, how is that entering your brain and really being disseminated into your experience? I don't know. And he was older. I have a hard time teaching people to draw too, other than Chad. Oh, well, I mean, he was, I will say that with the drawing, we were improving. But what I also realized was, is that he was a veterinary surgeon so what I realized was he might oh, be. I think I listened to some pot or something when you were talking. I, I didn't find you until this past summer. Yeah. So I haven't listened to everything you have yet. But, but no, he, well, he was great. And, and I, what I saw about him was that I felt like he might just need to get his hands in it and to try it. Um, because, you know, being, being a person, I knew he wasn't going to necessarily hurt anybody. Um, but I felt like technically he could be a tattoo artist and then learn to draw afterwards a little bit more. Like really you don't need to know how to draw to tattoo. It does up your value as an artist when you can add to it, but you can be a technically great tattoo artist without, and he was like, he had some, when it came to lining, he was really, really good. Shading was a little bit more difficult for him. And that's where I saw that if he had just the time to like play with it more and play with his machines, he'd be able to, but I don't, I didn't have the time to give him, you know, um, I, I really didn't. Uh, I had, I had my own clientele and I had to keep my own schedule. So I was like, dude, I'm sorry. I wish I had more to give you. Um, I just feel like you need to, to, to go off to greener pastures. <laughs> really. And we had come to like, kind of a, I think a metaphysical and, um, you know, an impasse with person personality actually as well. Um, yeah. But it, you know, it was good for it was, we ended on a good note. Um, at least I think so. Um, I hope, I hope he feels the same. I think he does. I really like him and care about him as a person, but it was, it was, you know, we, you kind of got to stop and say like, what are we doing here? You know, I don't want to be fucking around. Like this is, this is for you to go and transition into another career that I know will make you just as much money and can make you just as much money as being a vet, you know, a vet yeah. surgeon. Like I know it can. Well, that's, that's an interesting change of careers. No, yeah. too much of that. Yeah. But even like leaving that to leaving, cause they, you know, they go to school for years and years and years. Yeah. And, well, I, I think there's even surgeons that don't like it at all. <clears throat> they got into it because their parents pressured them maybe, but they are already so entrenched in it. They spent so much time and effort maybe money in some cases of their own, mm-hmm. you know, and then they're in, they've got all kinds of debt afterwards. So they've got to work a lot to pay that debt off. And, you know, I just, it, like I see, I have, you don't see many that quit. It happens, but you just don't see that many of them that quit and move on to something else. Cause it's like, I invested too much into this. And at least I make a lot of money. Yeah. So. Yeah. They start writing books and doing research yeah. papers usually. Yeah. You know, that's their transition or teaching, yeah. you know, yeah. um, yes, which I can respect. Medical school to teach. Mm-hmm. But I, I forgot my brother, he like came to me one day, like this could have been 10 years ago. He's like, how about I buy you some tattoo kit and uh, you figure it out because you'll figure it out. And then you tattoo me. I get free tattoos for life. And I'm like, sure, whatever. OK. And uh, so he buys one of the cheap junkie. Chinese yeah, tents. I got one. And, <laughs> 
and the, you know, I had the coil machines in them and, uh, I found a couple of books on them. I don't know, like I've heard people bad mouth those books real bad, but to me, they were, I can't remember the name of them anyway. I think I know uh, the ones you're talking about. He didn't have but good grammar at all. <laughs> that guy, like there was all these spelling not. errors and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I actually like books like that sometimes. Like it's me just too. somebody wrote this thing and it's just like, they, yep. they bypassed the publishing gatekeepers just did it themselves. Yep. So anyway, um, so I did it and I got pig ears and pig's feet and fake skin, but I got like the worst cheap, the real super thin cheap kind that you can't clean off. Right. And I was just like running into problems and the machines are junky and like a screw fall out of one of them. And the, the, <laughs> the uh, power source worked sometimes, sometimes it didn't. And I thought like, what if I'm get good at this? And somebody's like, come to my house and tattoo me. And I'm a halfway through and then this thing just dies on me. And I'm like this. So like, and I could figure the lining out pretty good fairly i mean it might look crappy to you but to me it looked okay but the shading was like and, and trying to block in areas I, I did a little on myself too to see what it was like and you know, like the shading and the in the filling in was hard the lining wasn't so it wasn't so hard but mm-hmm. like i find but finally i'm gonna hurt somebody or do something <laughs> stupid to somebody so like i need to find someone to help me with this. so I, at that time i was looking for apprenticeships i did it a few times and you know obviously sometimes can't get the first one or somebody wanted six thousand dollars and i don't know if that's good price or not you tell me that's high for what i've 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 heard my my boss before he offered me to do it for time he Mm -hmm. said i think he wanted 2500 um so i think it was like two grand or two two thousand five hundred something like that or three grand it might have been but it was like half that And for me, that was a deal just considering what I knew any other education and professional learning to be like in hair at the time, at the time, it was like $15,000. I know it's like doubled since then, but um, cosmetology school. Yeah. 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 15,000, which is why I did an apprenticeship under my dad uh, in, in, um, not in cosmetology and barbering, but um, when, when you do that and you go that route, they make you take more time. So you have to report hours to the board and they double the time that you have to invest in it. Um, I, I guess just to say, fuck you to the apprenticeship kind of thing. I mean, that's what it really seems like because the people who run the board, FYI people are also the people who own the schools. <laughs> yeah, I heard you talk about you didn't want tattooing to go in that direction. And I, oh. I see that that could happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Martha Stewart went to jail. (laughs) Martha Stewart went to jail for insider trading. Oh, yeah. So it's kind of the same in a way. Oh, yeah. Rigging the game in your favor? Absolutely. (laughs) I I heard somebody on, it wasn't your podcast, it was somebody else's podcast where they were interviewing one of the people that's starting a school in uh, Washington State or or wherever it is that they have to have the schools now. And she was talking about a little bit about her curriculum. And I mean, I'm not necessarily against that per se, but she was talking about how they got to write essays and all this stuff. And I'm like, did that. I don't want to do that anymore. I mean, I would if I was in somebody's school. That's the route I would take. I would just do it. But I was like, it's like kind of turned me off a little bit. I mean, maybe it's a good thing for the situation. I don't know. But I just. I'll think. admit this. So I have, I've had two, um, two family members of mine, a cousin and a second cousin want tattoos before they were 18. And I said, no, I said, 
definitely when you're 18. And then when they were 18, I was like, we are not getting this for free. And I made them write essays as to why they wanted the tattoos they wanted. I was like, I need to know why, because I, I have clients that get, like give me like, um, what do you call them? Um, PowerPoint presentations on the tattoos they want. I have clients that, you know, they'll come with the money. They'll come with the passion. They'll wait years and they'll have this like PowerPoint presentation about why they want the tattoo they want. And I'm like, wow, this is awesome. So I need, I need you to tell me why, you know, you're young, you're getting this done. That's, that's kind of like, like an entry. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if that's the same necessarily, but no, it isn't. But I will say that I, I do, I, there's a merit of earning it kind of like, there's a lot of that in tattooing, a lot of gatekeeping, like you got to earn it. Um, there is a, again, with formal education, they got to meet every manner of person. It's not about taking you and, and what you need as a person and getting you to your profession as quickly as possible or as efficiently as possible. It's about scouring the fundamentals and making sure that everybody is at the same pace and the same place leaving. And then they can go out in the world and then they probably will find their apprenticeship or their clinicals, if you will, if it was in the medical world, you know, like you, you then go and do this apprenticeship under another professional yada 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 but you can just skip all that and find an apprenticeship and the the things to look out for like you said i would say this if 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 somebody was charging me this is what i would need i would need a curriculum i would need written expectations of what i need to clock them about the money i'm paying um, I'd like a contract um, with with the notary and everything that that I could take to a lawyer and actually have it looked over, so that there's a binding thing between us that says you promise me this and I promise you that. Um, but I would definitely want a course breakdown to know like how long, at what point in my education am I going to learn this, this, and this, just like I would any other formal education. It's just like okay, this is the promise that we're entering in with each other. I'm not just going to give you six grand. And then hope that in three years or however long you dictate that I get to tattoo, you know? So the, the biggest thing within anybody who's charging you is definitely ask a lot of questions about that and definitely make sure that you're both on a very steady agreement level that is, that is recognized um, under law, really. <laughs> like, that's, yeah. that's important. So is that common? Like a, con- a written contract? Is it? It is. Um, it won't. It is and it isn't. It depends on how people um, structure their businesses, whether their businesses welcome apprenticeship and then what the individual apprenticeship requires. Some some people are very, um, you know, business oriented with it. They consider it it's their knowledge. They're not going to give it away to you. They're going to charge you for that knowledge. The way my dad, which I, I offered this to someone else in the industry, and I might actually you know, draft this up myself, just as a package that I can sell um, to other professionals if they like the idea of this. But the way my dad did it was he, um, as a hairstylist, he would pay you a salary, um, you know, well, it was like an hourly wage, but it was like minimal wage. You would get, you would get like quarterly reviews and sometimes raises and stuff like that, but it was minimum wage. You had to dedicate at least 30 hours of your life. So it was a full-time schedule that you had to work and you would report to the board. He would clock your hours. You would learn on site. 
Um, there is, if it's cosmetology, I think it's 3,500 hours that you have to put in. Um, mm -hmm. I think it's 2,200 or 2,225 if you're going to be a um, barber. So all of those hours have to report. He looked at the, um, the amount that schools were charging. And so what he did was he said, okay, you get your license. I'm not going to teach you for you to then leave me and be my competition. So what you owe me at the end of this contract, after you get your license is you owe me three years of your work. You are indebted for three, three years, and then you can go anywhere. Um, he did have a non-compete that made them, it was very tight limits. Like you can't go right down the street and work for me, but you, you know, it was a very non-competes. They have to be a reasonable, you know, mile yeah. range. So it was like immediate area. So he had a non-compete that he had them sign. And then he also had a, uh, if you are to stop your apprenticeship before your license, every single week has a, a dollar amount on it. And every day you can break down into a dollar amount that basically equivocates to a $15,000 education. So while you're working for me, I'm paying you. But if you decide to walk out on this, you get prorated to however much of the education you have completed and that I have given you and you get charged. So I will then charge you for your education at that point. So that's the way he worked it. And I thought that was a really, you know, accountable thing. I think yeah. that that was, you know, a promise where both people, you know, benefited at the end. And typically when you learn under somebody like that, you don't want to leave anytime soon. Like, giving three, three years after that is nothing because that's your home. That's where you learn. And that's who you learn from. And that's where your clients are too. You know, like they come from the local area. And so why would you want to leave a whole steady clientele, you know, and take that leap unless you really, really want to, you know, move to another state or whatever. But for the what, most part, it worked really what, well. What if, uh, say if you did have a free apprenticeship, like what is there like a standard amount of time you're expected to work for somebody after that, which I agree with, I would do that definitely mm -hmm. do it. But I, I was just wondering, is there like a standard time? Like what if no in tattooing, happens, life there's happens very little standards. <laughs> they're they're okay, coming right. up with them at rapid pace these days, yeah. along with licensures and schools and things like that. But um, with apprenticeships and with tattooing, it's very intimate. And that's why I think you hear about a lot of abusive kind of situations too, is just because people get really close and, and the lines between job and personal kind of stuff get blurred a lot because you're very intimately learning with people. And it is, it is something where, you know, I think in some respects they'd have to psychologically break you because it's like none, no other job, you know, like it, it, it is a high pace performance people job that's about serving and doing art at the same time. And it takes a very, you know, I would say a certain kind of person, um, yeah. at least the way it used to be now, you know, like you, you, my apprentice, she learned in a private studio. She was like, at first she was like freaking out because she was like, how am I supposed to get work? How am I supposed to learn? There's no walk-ins, you know, should I take the infinity knot? And I was like, well, how hungry are you? I don't know. <laughs> I don't, you know, like I, my whole thing with her is I didn't want her to negate her style, which was so adamant. And so her, 
and then adopt all these clients. And I know you do when you do a good job, because she was a very likable person. She was just a person that you're going to fall in love with right away. And she still is Um, that. I didn't want her to have to divorce a bunch of people because that's what ends up happening is that you do a good job for people and they fall in love with you, but then they come to you later and they want this thing that you don't do and that you're not going to do. And at that point, you then have to, you have to divorce them and be like, well, it's not you, it's me. And this is where I'm at and all this stuff. And it's, it becomes this very like intimate thing. So I think with, um, tattooing that, and you do, I mean, I'm, I'm not even gonna lie. You do have, you do have people that have drug problems still. You still have people that, that, um, you know, are, are misogynistic or don't know how to like really keep that professional air at time. I mean, I'm guilty too. I just happen to be a woman. So it's easier. Um, <laughs> you know, like, people let me get away with more, but like, yours like that too. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Lots of, it's like all day long where I work now is those, that's what she said jokes and it's mm-hmm. men, women saying them though, they don't, they don't care. They'll talk about anything like right yeah. in front of me all the time. And, you know, so it's just, we're kind of in the shit, right? Like, it's not yeah. like wartime kind of in the shit, but like when you're in the shit, you yeah. got to bullshit because it's too heavy. If you take it all in like that, like you kind of got to lighten the air a little bit. And I feel like that's how it is with tattooing too, is that yeah. like, this is heavy. People are in pain. They're, they're, yeah. you know, like they're doing something that, that isn't very rare, you know, it isn't rare for me, but it's rare for them. And you kind of got to get them out of their head a little bit and, and everybody keep a high level of positivity and, and shake it up a little bit. Cause if you were to yeah. dip into what you were doing, yeah. it's going to get real morbid <laughs> real quick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I found a lot of times, like I would make sort of a joke or a game out of a stressful situation. Like that at first, at first I was like, Oh, God, this is gonna—you're gonna fire me now, or I'm gonna get really mad. And this will be it, and I'll flip over my table that I gotta work on. We call it a back table. I'm gonna flip that over and storm out of there. Maybe punch a surgeon on my way out or something. But you know, I—I don't—I don't ever get myself to that point anymore. No. It's like I've done this a thousand times. I'm gonna do this. We'll get through this one just fine, you know. Yeah. And I mean, we got through a similar thing, by the way, too. Like our clinical, we call. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's that's where it gets sort of apprentice-like. Mm-hmm. We call ourselves preceptors, which I looked the definition up, and it's it's not exactly the same with apprenticeship, but um, but you're dealing with like very nervous people, and, and they're coming in there, and they don't know what to do yet, and you got to watch them like a hawk that they don't contaminate everything, and, and some people don't know how to treat them, they treat them real rough and harsh, and they they have that same kind of attitude, like the eat your young attitude of like you got to prove to me you earned it, and I'm like, well, they proved to it by going through school all this time and paying all that money. Yeah, and sometimes they're a single mom, and they're still doing all this. So I think they they don't really need to to they don't owe me anything because I don't I get paid the same whether they get through the uh, clinicals or not. So you know, like I don't it's like not not my problem in terms of like I don't need to take it home and lose any sleep over whether they pass or fail. It's just like right. I'm lending you with the information to try to keep you calm. And I mean, I had situations where they're like have a really nervous student and everybody's being so bad the harsh to them but finally they sent them to me and i'm like it's just all mellow out and it's all right we'll get through it you know ain't a big deal you know but i gotta ask him right away how, how many how many weeks of clinicals have you had up to this point what do you know what do you not know so they, they don't 
destroy everything by accident, but it can happen. I think if I was there in position, I'd be like, okay, we're going to have an agreement before we walk into this place. Your hands are by your sides and they glued to your sides and they don't move until I say they move. Okay. Can we agree to that? (laughs) You don't lean on things. Your butt yeah. doesn't touch anything. No. You, know, like, yeah. like, you just make sure at like a whole run through right before we're going to have fun. I'm going to try and make this as clear and cut and dry as possible, but like, yeah. don't fucking touch anything. Like seriously. Yeah. I, <laughs> I say freeze and freeze. You know? yep. I'm not trying to be rude to you, but you guys, yep. we just have to, I need you to not contaminate thousands of dollars worth of supplies. Mm-hmm. It's going to happen to anybody, but it happens yeah. to students a lot. So. Thank you for joining us this week. Be sure to come back next week for part two. Thanks for listening. You can find The Apprenticeship Diaries on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Our IG is the underscore apprenticeship underscore diaries. If you would like to offer constructive criticism or an interview, drop us an email at theapprenticeshipdiaries at gmail.com. We We look look forward forward to hearing from from our listeners. listeners.